0: Back when I was in seminary taking moral theology, I learned that years ago, the Roman Catholic Church had a resource that the clergy used called the penitential manual. The penitential manual came about because of the sacrament of confession. In medieval Europe, Joe might go to confession and be given 10 Our Fathers and five Hail Marys for slapping his cousin. Whereas Jill, attending confession one village over, might be ordered to fast for two weeks for the very same offense. In an effort to address this disparity and bring some uniformity to the acts of penance prescribed, the church created this manual. Over time, as the variety of sins grew, so did the manual. I was quite amused picturing what must have eventually been a huge tome that you could flip through and find the recommended penance for stealing a neighbor's chicken or having lustful thoughts about a friend's wife. And it's not like medieval priests had Google. If someone came to the confessional and confessed an infrequent and unusual sin, did the priest just have him come back later for his penance while he did a little research? Or did he just say, hold on for a minute and sit there and furiously flip those pages? The Roman Catholic Church no longer uses the penitential manual, but it did get me thinking. This legal, casuistic way of looking at sin and reconciliation wasn't invented by the Catholics. We can see it going all the way back to the 613 laws that God gave the Israelites through Moses. Practically the whole book of Leviticus is a list of things we're not to do, things that if we partook of would separate us from God and neighbor and the penance or punishment that would result. This understanding of how to be in or return to right relationship with God was still operational when Jesus came on the scene. Paving the way for Jesus, we have John the Baptist, who preached a message of repentance and invited God's people to enact this repentance through baptism. In this, John was introducing an understanding of repentance as not only necessary for corporate communal restoration with God through temple sacrifice, but as an individual return and rededication to God. His message is a hearkening to Jeremiah's words. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. This culminates with Jesus preaching the good news, which includes calling us back to right relationship with God. God had introduced the law as guardrails within which Israel would be able to maintain relationship with a holy God. But we had turned it into a legalistic, balance out the ledger code of sacrificial acts. Jesus reminds us that what God desires is relationship with us. God desires that from the time we are born to the time we draw our last breath, we would walk with him and know his presence. We had forgotten And lost our way as we are so apt to do losing the forest for the trees jesus shows up and not only proclaims but embodies this intimate relationship that god desires he speaks of god as father even using abba an endearment meaning daddy He prays that his followers might be one with the father, just as he is one with the father. He says that his will is so aligned with God's will that all he proclaims is of God. This, Jesus reminds us, is what God desires. That we would be so indwelt by God through the Holy Spirit that there would be no question of our separation from him. The quintessential embodiment of God's desire that we return to him is found in the parable of the prodigal son. A man's youngest son asks to have his inheritance early. He leaves his father and family and goes off into the world, spending all that he's been given and what we're told is dissolute living. When the economy goes south, he's forced to work in hard labor to survive. And when he hits what feels like rock bottom, we're told that he comes to himself. He remembers his father and his family, and he resolves to return home, acknowledging his transgression and hoping that he might be allowed to work in the household. As he approaches, practicing his speech of remorse, his father sees him from a distance It is as if for all these years, he has never stopped looking for his child. Filled with compassion, he runs out to meet him with an embrace and a kiss. The son is barely able to begin his speech of contrition when the father showers him with gifts, the best robe, the finest ring, sandals for his tired feet. There is no question of his son becoming as a servant to the father. Whatever the prodigal has done, he is still his beloved child. More than this, the father calls the whole household into celebration mode, preparing the fatted calf for a feast. During each week of Lent. We are looking at one of the five promises that we make as part of our baptismal covenant. The second affirmation we make is that we will persevere in resisting evil, and whenever we fall into sin, we'll repent and return to the Lord. Because of the severe weather here in Dallas, we were unable to come together on Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is, in its essence, a Christian day of atonement. If we don't think about sin any other time of the year. We think about it on Ash Wednesday. We need this annual reminder of our sin and the communal ritual that assures us that we are not alone. And yet this opportunity was lost to many of us this year. We don't speak much about sin these days. I'm not quite sure why we become uncomfortable with talk of sin for surely each of us can admit that we do in fact sin. Perhaps it's because a particular strain of Christianity has co-opted the word using it as a bludgeon upon those that they would shame into seeing things as they do into behaving as they prescribe, but this was never God's intent. From the time that Adam and Eve partook of that forbidden fruit, sin has been about separation from God. From the beginning, it has been about relationship. The younger son in our parable epitomizes the depths of sin that most of us know all too well, whether we're willing to admit it or not. That sense of alienation brought on by any number of things, our egos and ambitions, our envy and greed, our desires and appetites, our disappointments and grudges. Our determination that we can travel more quickly and painlessly in life if we go it alone. We follow paths of our choosing that lead us further and further from God. If we are lucky, we wake one day and know that our lives are not what they are meant to be. The things we thought would fulfill us have left us empty and anxious and lonely. If we are lucky, we come to ourselves. We realize the profound discontinuity between who we have, what we have become and who we truly are. The voice of truth within us says, You are not meant for this. And we choose to go home. The heart of repentance is turning around, starting over, choosing another direction or changing course. Change is necessary because we become aware that our hearts and lives and actions are out of step with God's deep desire for us. And so we correct course and turn back toward God. And what Jesus tells us is that God is always waiting. God is always willing to take us in. God does not harp on our failings or dissect our miserable past, but offers us immediate love and restoration. God's arms remain open, waiting to embrace us when we return. These arms never push us away never. In baptism, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. It is this Holy Spirit dwelling within us that acts as a homing device. No matter how far we wander, no matter how low we've sunk, no matter how long we've stayed away, she persistently beckons us to repent and return to God. We wrestle with our repentance because of the feelings that it raises within us. Fear of rejection, despondency at having failed, anger at our limitations, Sorrow for what has been lost. Like the younger son, we practice speeches in our heads, perhaps even now tempted to negotiate our return to the father. And yet, as we turn to make our way home, what we discover to our relief and delight is that God runs out to meet us. Our relationship with God is never irrevocably broken. In covenant with God, what we find is that mercy outweighs justice, that abundance and joy are the response to our acknowledgement of our sin, and that wayward children are welcomed home by loving parents. This is the overwhelming scandal of grace that is absolutely cause for a riotous celebration. Amen.